And again, it's, it's been a few weeks, but you're going to have a sense of familiarity with this text, even though we've not, um, we've not read this text yet. There is a great familiarity with what we've seen before and what we'll see tonight. Uh, going back several weeks to chapter 6, uh, we witnessed the Lamb opening, that is Christ, of course, opening the first six of the seven seals. Uh, just it, picture sort of a, a scroll, or actually it probably would be a scroll that would be open this way, left to right. Um, and there are, there are seven seals, and we saw the first six seals opened. So there was one remaining, and we're going to get to that one tonight. Uh, this is chapter six. The, the last six seal sort of concludes with a scene of judgment, asking a, a question, um, not just implicitly, but even sort of an exhortation of a question of, of who can withstand God's wrath on that final day, who will be able to stand on the day of judgment? There's great fear and there's great concern sort of in that scene. It's a very stirring scene that we saw at the end of chapter 6. And then in chapter 7, there's the answer that we received to that question. Who will be able to stand? Well, we get a glimpse of this great heavenly uh, multitude, right? From every tongue, tribe, and nation. And what do they all have in common? Well, they have God's seal on them. And so those who have God's seal, the seal of the Lord, will be saved from the judgment. They are immune. They are redeemed from the judgment. And so in our text today, we return to those seals, and now we see the seventh and the final seal. And so really all of chapter 8, and actually even going into chapter 9, we're still dealing with the effects of that final seal. And so let's, well, on one hand, actually, this is even a helpful thing I want to say at the beginning, because I'm going to reiterate as we go through um, but what we're seeing here is, is likely some sort of recapitulation of what we've seen before, sort of a revisiting of what we've seen before. So not so much, we're not so much seeing as we look at chapter 5, 6, 7, and now 8 today, we're not so much seeing a sort of chronological output. As, as Westerners, we think that way. Everything is chronological. When we watch a movie, when we read a novel, we expect everything to work sort of in a linear chronological way. That doesn't seem to be what's happening here. And And if it were that, that would be very unexpected in an apocalyptic book. Um, So really what we're probably seeing is sort of a revisiting of this same judgment that we've already seen, now from a different vantage point. We saw it from one, and now we're going to sort of look at it from another vantage point. Something like the four Gospels, right? They're all telling the same story, life and ministry of Jesus. And yet each of them have a slightly different vantage point. Now, they don't contradict each other. Um, They're all true, and they're all telling us different things about the ministry. They include different stories, and even you read some of the same stories, and it's a different person telling the story, and so on and so forth. And so it gives you more of a full-orbed picture. That's what we're seeing in chapter 8. So if these things sound somewhat familiar, well, they're supposed to. Uh, That's the way it's supposed to be. So let's go to chapter 8 and read it together. We'll look through the whole of it, God willing. As much time as we have, we'll devote to it. So chapter 8, verse 1. When the Lamb opened the seventh seal... There was silence in heaven for about half an hour. Then I saw the seven angels who stand before God, and seven trumpets were given to him. And another angel came and stood at the altar with a golden censer, and he was given much incense to offer uh, with the prayers of all the saints on the golden altar before the throne. And the smoke of the incense with the prayers of the saints rose before God from the hand of the angel. Then the angel took the censer and filled it with fire from the altar and threw it on the earth. And there were peals of thunder, rumblings, flashings, uh, flashes of lightning, and an earthquake. Verse 6. Now the seven angels who had the seven trumpets prepared to blow them. The first angel blew his trumpet, and there followed hail and fire mixed with blood. 
and these were, the, these were thrown down upon the earth. And a third of the earth was burned up, and a third of the trees were burned up, and all green grasses were burned up. The second angel blew his trumpet, and something like a great mountain burning with fire was thrown into the sea. And a third of the sea became blood. A third of the living creatures in the sea died, and a third of the ships were destroyed. The third angel blew his trumpet, and a great star fell from heaven, blazing like a torch, and it fell on a third of the rivers and on the springs of water. The name of the star is Wormwood. A third of the waters became Wormwood, and many people died from the water because it had become or had been made bitter. The fourth angel blew his trumpet, and a third of the sun was struck, and a third of the moon, and a third of the stars, so that a third of, the, uh, of their light might be darkened. And a third of the day might be kept from shining, and likewise a third of the night. Then I looked, and I heard an eagle crying with a loud voice as it flew directly overhead. Woe, woe, woe to those who dwell on the earth at the blasts of the other trumpets that the three angels are about to blow. Just as an interesting side side note before we get into really a pretty ominous chapter. Uh, there was, it was the last album that Johnny Cash did before he died. Uh, he was, I mean, he was in his 80s, did this album. Is anyone familiar with it? Uh, he has several different tracks in there. I don't think it's all of them, but several different tracks where he reads a portion of the book of Revelation. Anyone heard that? And, I, and I, I, we heard it the other day, Joe and I heard it, and I don't remember what the context was, but I said, I wish I had a whole recording of Johnny Cash reading Revelation. That would just be fantastic. His voice is so great. It's just that deep sort of, you know, really voice. So I, as I was reading this, I'm thinking of Johnny Cash. But, but there's actually, there's, um, you can get uh, on uh, the whole New Testament voiced by, um, oh, what's his name? James Earl Jones. <laughs> yeah, has anyone seen that? It's fantastic. Uh, I've heard bits and pieces of it. Anyway. Um, as we read this, this is really ominous stuff. This is dark stuff. It, it's judgment, quite plainly. In verse 1, Christ opens the final seal, uh, followed by this dramatic half hour of silence in heaven. And that, that, that's a pretty substantial amount of time if you think about complete and utter silence. Um, remember the image given to us is, again, that series of, of a scroll that would be opened this way. Not, not this way, but, but this way, left to right, And so there's this one more seal, and now that it is being broken, there's this dramatic uh, pause, this silence in heaven. The the silence suggests a coming judgment. We we see this elsewhere in the Old Testament. Some of this language is is verbatim taken from Habakkuk chapter 2, verse 20, Zephaniah chapter 1, verse 7, and I know there's something in Zephaniah chapter 2 as well. I didn't make the note of it. But this idea of a pending judgment, this silence, almost sort of to, uh, it's sort of the idea of the silence before the tornado comes, right? The quiet before the storm, or perhaps even sort of the eye of the hurricane. There's that pause where there's a silence from before uh, the wrath ensues. As we get to verses 2 through 4, we get this great angelic display, um, this, is, this is reminiscent of those bowls of incense that we saw back in chapter 5, verse 8. And again, it's been several weeks now, but, but you can sort of remember that perhaps. We see the prayers of the saints gathered uh, as if incense. I think that's the idea here. The incense is symbolic for this. Um, that The sweet fragrance of God's, uh, uh, in God's mind, in God's 
you know, sort of, again, this is given symbolically, but God's sort of the, the sweet fragrance of incense is how he perceives of the prayer of his people. So as we pray, God receiving that with pleasure. And that's what's going on here. God's people are crying out, um, stored up in a bowl back in chapter 5, verse 8. Now, the angels here, we've seen a lot of different angelic beings, the, the, you know, these sort of beasts and these strange you know, angelic beings that are, um, are, are not, we're not sure, are they human, are they angelic, what are they? Clearly here, they're calling them angels, God's messengers. They're here to execute God's will. And so it's the way that God tends to work. He, he could simply just speak, as he did with creation, and it would be so. But God takes pleasure in his angels here, sort of enacting his will, executing his will. And that's what we're going to see really throughout the rest of the book. And we've seen some of that already. Uh, what, what we're witnessing here is the answer to, God's, to the prayers of God's people back in 6.10. Flip back there, if you would. Chapter 6, verse 10. They cried out with a loud voice, O sovereign Lord, holy and true, how long before you will judge and avenge our blood on those who dwell on the earth? Then they were each given a white robe, tells you who these are, and told to rest just a little while longer until the number of their fellow servants and their brothers should be complete who were to be killed as they themselves had been. So this is God's people, and particularly here, that these are martyrs, those who have given their lives even in service and faithfulness to the Lord. Their prayers are called out and are now about to be answered. And that's really key here, implicit in understanding what we're seeing here. And also this is going to flow into to chapter 9 as well, God willing, what we'll see next week. That, that these judgments of the seven trumpets come as an answer to the prayer of God's saints. It's, it's judgment against a world that has resisted God's rule. Whether it's passive, whether it's active, the world has resisted God's rule and has even opposed the work of God in the church, in God's own people. And in Israel, before the church. And so now God bringing vindication to his people. And we're going to see this actually even more clearly, more starkly in chapter 9. As we get to chapter 5, the, the earth is shaken, literally in this sense, shaken um, by these events of heaven. In response to the prayers of the saints... Uh, judgment is going to be hurled down. There's this, there's this idea of God on his throne in heaven hurling judgment down. Uh, we're going to see this language come up again in chapter 11, verse 19. We'll see it in chapter 16, verse 18. Again, this sort of reiteration uh, of what God is doing in this great judgment to the earth. Um, now, even as I just used the word literally earlier, I didn't mean literally, literally, necessarily. I meant it in, in, in a very particular way. These things might be, uh, it, it might be expected that we would take these things literally, but it's not absolutely clear. Uh, there's so much in here that is very symbolic, the numbers, the types, these different things, as well as what we've seen, what is clearly symbolic in Old Testament texts that are using these. Um, and I've already quoted just, just a few of them, or referenced them rather. Um, but this is strong, there's strong apocalyptic language here. Um, but regardless, whether or not these are literal, and they very well may be, or if we th say these things are more symbolic, whatever that symbol is standing for is pretty clear to us, isn't it? I mean, this, this is not simply um, something routine going on earth. This is absolutely earth-shaking. So to say it is symbolic is not to take away from what is clearly the message. It's the same idea, this is just by, by illustration, whether or not hell actually has fire in it, we get the idea of what hell is, Right? 
So whether or not God would, would ultimately pour forth his wrath in some other, you know, even metaphysical way, uh, it, it's clear to us what hell represents, eternal punishment. It's clear what is going on here. This is clearly God's wrath poured out from heaven against a rebellious world. As we get to verses 6 and 7, uh, at the signal of this, this first trumpet, a portion of the earth's surface is absolutely incinerated. Um, a portion, it's a third. There's going to be thirds and thirds and thirds and thirds. Uh, and that's a theme. And again, this is actually even picked up from the Old Testament. Look at verse 7. Now the first angel blew his trumpet, and there followed hail and fire mixed with blood. And these were thrown upon the earth. And there were peals of thunder, rumblings, flashes of lightning, and an earthquake. So the blowing of these trumpets, and there's going to be seven, uh, signifies judgment. Can you think of anywhere else in the Old Testament where we see this, where uh, the blowing of trumpets is, is symbolizing judgment or wrath? Several places. Just think about the war cry of Israel. Uh, but I think actually the one that I, I, would, I would expect most of us to think of would be Jericho. Right? They march around. They, they do the whole thing that God has said. They blow the trumpets and God brings judgment. And the walls come crashing down. And then it's not, okay, go ahead, go ahead, Jericho, y'all are free. No, there's judgment against the people of the city. And so clearly this is, this is a symbol of God's judgment. Actually, there's a whole host of Old Testament imagery that we could look at that would really relate to a lot of these things. If I were to, if I were to stop and cite every sort of Old Testament illusion here, um, we wouldn't make it very far. <laughs> there's a lot here. Now that's just the first trumpet. You're being affected on the earth, the incineration of a third of the land, a third of the tree, all of the grass, he says. But there's six more trumpets to follow. And we get to, to verse 8, and we begin to see, really, verses 8 and 9, the second trumpet then now affects the oceans with the same kind of wrath. You see that there, a third of the ocean uh, turned into blood. And again, may, maybe God turned the ocean into blood, but probably there's a sense in which just destruction, right, um, here against the ocean, a third of the ocean sort of wastes away. As we get to verses 10 through 11, we see really much the same now for the fresh water of the earth. Look at verse 9. A third of the living creatures in the sea died, and a third of the ships were destroyed. Um, uh, let's see, I'm missing my mark here. Come down to verse 11. Um, a third of the, the waters became wormwood, and many people died from the water because it had been made bitter. It's one thing for the seas to, uh, to ultimately, the, the oceans, the salt water, to ultimately become spoiled. But if you don't have fresh water, you're not going to survive very long. Um, the ocean was important. You had fish, you had navigation and so on. But there's a sense in which, uh, really, that the judgment against the fresh water is just this acceleration here of these judgments. As we get to verse 12, having brought uh, judgment on the earth, this scene now turns to the heavens. Uh, sort of the, the, think of the, uh, the lights of heaven, the illumination um, of the heavens, right? And by heavens, I don't mean like the spiritual place. I mean the, the sky, the universe. Um, when, when a fourth angel blows his trumpet, the sun, the moon, and the stars are struck, likewise in, in thirds in this, in this way. I'm, I'm moving through this pretty quickly. Any thoughts or questions so far before we, before we move on? As we come down to, to verse 13, uh, a messenger depicted as an eagle now. So we've moved on from, from the angels, and we're coming here to this depiction of, a, of an eagle. Warns that these final three trumpets would bring another 
form of judgment. And this, again, there is this acceleration in terms of uh, formally directed against the earth, against the physical structure of the earth, against the heavens, but now uh, judgment ultimately against, look what the verse says there in verse 13, to those who dwell on the earth. That's human beings, that's people. The worst is yet to come is sort of the idea here with these, with these woes. Look, look there at verse 13. Then I looked and I heard the eagle crying with a loud voice as it flew directly overhead. Woe, woe, woe to those who dwell in the earth at the blast of the other trumpets that the three angels are about to blow. And so there's a, sort of this pause. We saw the same thing uh, when we saw the seals um, a while back. Now here's the trumpets and the seals. And oftentimes you'll hear people talk about that. What do you do with the trumpets and the seals? Where This is the, the trumpets. We saw the seals. But they follow the same pattern. One, two, three, four, and then break, and then, and then the, the remaining. Sort of this, this pattern that we see there, um, it, which is very common in Hebrew. And so, so there's a lot here for us to explore in terms of, um, you know, what, what, what is this um, ultimately, you know, pointing toward? Well, we're going we're to get there in terms of the story. But we have to remember that the state of God's people in this. It's been several weeks, so I'll mention it. Uh, but God's people, a beleaguered, uh, an oppressed minority that is in a very precarious situation. Um, John himself being in exile and all of the, the sort of the difficulties that were this, this latter period uh, of the first century. This is a time where people are wondering, you know, is God hearing our prayers? You know, is, is, is Christ really going to come back? It's been a little while, Jesus. Where are you? Uh, is the church going to be utterly swallowed up and destroyed by uh, a pagan culture that hates it? And, and this is ultimately showing here. Uh, we, we, we ourselves may wonder uh, when the Lord is going to answer the prayer, uh, prayers of the saints who have for so long called for his rule, called for justice, called for vindication. Jim Hamilton, a commentator, reflecting on this chapter, he points out at least 11 cries in this way coming out of the book of Psalms. The, the how long, O Lord, with, his, with several different contexts, how long, O Lord, dealing with human infirmity, sickness, how long, Lord, uh, do we have to deal with cancer? How long do we have to deal with the death and loss and suffering? But then also, how long, O oh Lord, the temptations that we struggle with, all of the, the weaknesses of the flesh that we struggle with day by day. How long, O oh Lord, with the, the opposition that we face as Christians? You know, how, how long until the Lord brings his vindication? How long until he sets up his kingdom? Well, that's been God's, the cry of God's people for a very long time. In Revelation chapter 6, verse 10, the one that we read, they, they called out for God's holy judgment. And this is just a profound reminder for us, another one, that God hears the prayers of his people. That he stores them, that he, he hears them, he receives them like sweet incense, like fragrance. Um, that our, our prayers are not unheard. Even the prayer that we prayed a moment ago, that God would hear that, would receive that, and will one day respond to it. Back in chapter 6, there's the sense of just a little bit longer. I will answer it. I'm coming. Uh, justice is coming. Holiness is coming. Vindication is coming. And yet, hold on just a little while longer. And that's the message of God's people that we've held throughout the ages. How much longer? And God says, soon. And when it comes, it won't be a moment late. There will be a sense of absolute confidence and, and resonation with uh, when he does it. And we know that certainly by his example of what he has done in the past when he came the first time. So, so we, we've covered quite a bit of ground here. What, uh, what thoughts, questions, 
Anything as we look at this or what we've covered so far? Yeah, Bob? Verse 5 or verse 4? Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah, verse 4 speaks about the smoke of the incense. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. There, there are, well, so that, that the, the, I'll, there's a couple things I want to say about that. But ultimately, the, that citation that you note is an important one in the Old Testament, that's in terms of his rebellious people, those who rebelled against him, and there's frustration, anger, where at points God says, I will no longer hear your prayers, you rebellious people. It's at a different stage of redemptive history. What we're dealing with now is in the age of Christ, the age of the church, the age of the work has been done, that we no longer stand uh, ultimately within ourselves. If we did, our righteousness would be like filthy rags. But there's a sense in which now the church is holy and pure because of what Christ's done. Um, Some some commentators, though, have looked at that and said, oh, I I bet the incense needs to be added sort of because our prayers are incomplete. I, I don't think that's the case. Um, what, what we see in chapter 6, what we see back in chapter 5, is, is a sort of a pleasing reception. And ultimately, God acting on those prayers. In the Amplified Bible, it doesn't say anywhere that God appreciated the Oh, that's clearly the case in the Old Testament, though. Clearly, God, God hears and receives those prayers with joy. Absolutely. And, and the idea here is ultimately that He's responding to them. If God were not pleased with it, He certainly would not be answering those prayers. So I think there's clearly a sense in which what we see, if you look back to chapter 6, um, in what we read earlier, um, chapter 6, verse uh, 11. Again, each of them were given a white robe, which symbolizes purity, and is told to rest just a little while longer. So there's clear sense of uh, approbation. In chapter 7, they're given the seal, ultimately, that they are God's. There's an approval given to God's people. Um, That's the only thing that separates them from the wrath to come. It's those who will receive the mark of the beast, which is sort of a counterfeit seal. That's the counter seal. Um, They they will be under the judgment ultimately. Yeah. It's a good question. Other thoughts feeding off of that? Yeah. If we stood on our own, we we would be a stench. But because of the completed work of Christ, we stand uh, absolutely uh, pure and undefiled before the Lord. Um, even, and that, that's the fascinating thing about the gospel, is that even as we continue on in our fallen flesh, and even as we continue to sin, there's a sense in which um, the, the price has been paid. Um, the, the approval is there ultimately through the work of Christ. Uh, other questions? Other insights? Anything? We're just about at time. I'd be glad to go ahead and say a word of prayer if there's nothing else. You can always come chat with me after if you'd like. Right now I'm thinking about you. <laughs> okay, let's go to the Lord in prayer. Our God, I, I do thank you for your word. I pray, Lord, that you would um, help us, God, as we await, as we look for your coming, God, that we would await with great anticipation, with, uh, with patience, and yet, God, with hearts that are crying out to you. 
And again, even as we look at a world around us that it can only feel like it is unraveling, God, with a pandemic, with, with tensions in our own nation, yet, God, we, we look, Lord, for when things will all be made right, that you, Jesus, make all things new. It is in the name of Jesus Christ, our Lord, that I pray. Amen. God bless you and have a great night.